the biggest thing that I like to make sure people understand, entrepreneurs, especially authors, is it's not just about defending yourself if something were to happen. It's implementing the protection up front. That way you don't have to worry about issues happening down the road. Like, yes, doing the legal stuff, implementing it up front. It's not sexy. It's not like, oh, I'm going to get all these sales. I'm going to do that. Like it costs money. It costs money. However, when you put this protection up front, number one, it's going to save you 10, 100 times the amount down the road. Plus, it can create an entirely new revenue stream. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to The Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello, and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci. And today, we are going to talk about your intellectual property. And I know that we've talked about this before, but I think that it is a very, very important subject to discuss and learn about when you are an author or thinking about becoming an author. When you consider the legal components of intellectual property before you write your book, you can save yourself a tremendous amount of time, money, and frustration. So to that end, today's guest is Andrea Sager. Now, Andrea is the CEO and founder of Legalpreneur, which is a legal tech startup that focuses on offering affordable legal services to businesses of all sizes. She is the author of The Legalpreneur, The Business Owner's Guide to Legally Protecting Your Business. Now, while working at a corporate firm before she had her own business, Andrea noticed a gap in the legal industry. No one was catering to the small, innovative startup brands dominating her social media feeds. And I'll, I'll tell you, when I first started my business, I noticed the same gap. And it took me a while to find an attorney who understood a, a solopreneur's needs versus somebody who was running a restaurant, for example. So it really is different. And it's great to be able to find someone with those skills. And as a serial entrepreneur, Andrea also knew firsthand the importance of building a business with a solid legal foundation. And she also knew that many businesses simply did not have the funds to pay, you know, attorney from a big law firm to help them do that, to help her do that. So the realization of that dilemma led her to the development of Legalpreneur because she believes legal services should be accessible to everyone. And I have to say, I agree. Now, I want you to pay special attention today because you are going to get some phenomenal tips from Andrea about your own intellectual property and how to protect it, about other people's intellectual property and how to respect it. And she's even going to give you a hack on what you can do to protect your copyright that won't cost you a penny. If somebody is using your information without permission, Andrea is going to tell you what you can do to put them on notice that that behavior needs to stop. So enjoy. 
Andrea, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited about this. Well, I'm excited to have you because I, you know, when I saw that you do, that you're an attorney for small businesses, you know, as, as someone who's had my own small business for over 30 years, I, I know how hard it can be to find adequate legal representation because a lot of people who do, most people who do business law are used to larger corporate law. And so when you just have, you're a solopreneur or you just have a small team uh, and especially anything in like the personal development space, I mean, most attorneys just, it just goes right over their heads. Like they don't understand what you're doing. So they either really overkill and just go nuts with (laughs) filings and the, you know, and all the paperwork and everything. Or on the other side, you know, they just like don't even notice things that you need to do that other companies, that bigger companies don't. And so thank you for being here. Uh, and, and you know, especially, and the reason why we invited you on, besides your delightful personality and clear expertise, but the reason why we, we invited you on for our listeners is that I really believe that if you decide to be an author, you are in effect creating a business. Uh, you know, you might already have a business, but the authorship is is your new division. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> right? is, and, and we can't really underestimate how important that is. So, when I say that, what are what are some of the first thoughts that occur to you, just out of your own expertise, when I say that? Yeah, I I mean, I agree with you 100%. And exactly what you were just saying about how attorneys truly don't understand the solo entrepreneur, the small team. We have, I personally have gained so many new clients because after going to another attorney, because the attorney didn't understand them, didn't understand their business, didn't understand how they even made money. And having someone on your team that truly does understand you and your business, it's a game changer. And having even having authorship be a new revenue stream, or maybe you're just you're now dabbling into entrepreneurship, even understanding that is a big step for a lot of people. Because in my position, sometimes it's like pulling teeth to get people to understand like, you are a business owner. It's not even just a hobby. Like you are truly a business owner. And if you're not careful, you can be held liable for things that you had no idea about. Yeah, that's a good one. The liability is a good one. What what advice do you give people in terms of things they can do to limit their liability exposure when they become an author? Yeah. So the big three, I call, I just call it the big three, almost like the big four accounting firms is the big three in legal. (laughs) Number one is your business entity. And I make sure that no matter what you, you want to be an LLC and it's a limited liability company. So many reasons we can go into detail if you want, but ultimately just know that you need to have an LLC as soon as possible. And then, of course, your contracts. If you have a a publisher or if you're self-publishing, there's still so many contracts that come into place, whether you have an illustrator or if you have an editor or if you have a ghostwriter, like there's so many things that come into play that you have to be aware of the contracts and not just having a contract, but knowing what's what is in the contract. That's a whole nother thing. And then, of course intellectual property that's that i mean that's everything about a book is your intellectual property 
And that's my jam. That's really where I found my niche when I started my law firm was IP, trademarks and copyrights. So being aware of all of them is the first step. And then making sure that you're taking care of those protections, that's going to limit your liability and take you as far as possible. And the biggest thing that I like to make sure people understand, entrepreneurs, especially authors, is it's not just about defending yourself if something were to happen. It's implementing the protection up front. That way you don't have to worry about issues happening down the road. Like, yes, doing the legal stuff, implementing it up front, it's not sexy. It's not like, oh, I'm going to get all these sales. I'm going to do that. Like, it costs money. It costs money. However, when you put this protection up front, number one, it's going to save you 10, 100 times the amount down the road. Plus, it can create entirely new revenue stream. One example that I like to tell people is think about Profit First. Oh, yeah. Love that book. He, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he may have wrote the book knowing people were going to adapt it, but that book, he wrote that book one time and now people pay him. I think it's like 25 or 30,000 to adapt it to their specific niche. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. so many things that can be done once you put the intellectual property out there in the world. There's so many revenue, additional revenue streams that can come once you start putting in the work. Well, since you mentioned Mike, uh, Michalowicz. I, I have to give a plug for everybody. Uh, go back to our archives because we did a we did an interview with Mike Michalowicz. Uh I love it. I've I've seen him uh, once. I think uh, at least once before at a conference. Yeah. Yeah. So terrific, great interview. So uh, since you're on the website, maybe you hop over there after this. Anyway, but I want to talk about liability because okay, I want to I want to break. I want to talk about each one of these things that you mentioned. Let's start with liability since you mentioned it first. So, uh, you know, I've actually heard people who are getting ready to be authors saying, well, I'm, you know, self-publishing. So what I don't really have to, you know, why, why would I? <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to let you answer that question. Yeah. I mean, when you're self-publishing, that's even more reason you need to be careful because you don't have a publisher going to bat for you. Like when you have a publisher, it's not you against the publisher, but that's the main relationship you're worried about. But when you're self-publishing, now there's that many more relationships. And that's the benefit of having a publisher is they're going to bat for you. They're doing a lot of the work for you. But when you're self-published, that's even more relationships that you have to manage. And as much as we would love to just say, oh, it's a handshake deal where we have this great relationship. There's a difference between having a relationship and protecting yourself. And it's a fine line. And it's all that's what it comes down to is just protecting yourself. I mean, you know, the the, the thing that occurred to me when you said liability that I think a lot of people don't think about is that you're liable for the the content in your book. So one thing I always advise my authors to do is to put a disclaimer, like especially if you're giving it any kind of advice uh, to put a disclaimer that you know, we are not, this, this author is giving advice. Yeah. Not, it's not advice. It's not advice. It's just sharing information. It is information. information. And it's not to be confused with advice. And, you know, there's all these disclaimers, especially when you're writing in the health, fitness, medical field. You have oh to my be gosh. Careful yes. Careful to put in that disclaimer, but there's an advantage that the author gains by publishing under a separate company 
versus just publishing as an individual. So maybe you could speak to that just a tiny bit for anybody who's really, really new to this. Yes. So the reason you want to have an entity, a business entity, and why I mentioned the LLC is because you as an individual do not want to be responsible for the liability, the debts of the company. And no matter what, you may think you're publishing the most innocent book. Trust me, crazier things have happened. (laughs) And you never know what's going to happen. You may have unintentionally infringed on somebody's copyright. You may have unintentionally... And that's what when most issues happen, it's it was done unintentionally. And you have to protect yourself against what unintentionally is going to happen. So when it comes to the entity, you want to make sure that it's not you as an individual that is publishing this book. It is your entity, your LLC. That is the author of the, well, you're the author, but the entity owns the copyright. The entity owns everything as a result of the book. And all of the, and not getting into too many details, but also when you are bringing in the revenue from the actual book sales, and then of course the the speaking gigs that come along with it, everything else, having that under the entity brings you so many more advantages right. when it comes to taxes the entity as well. probably doesn't own your house you see so if someone sues the entity or your IRA <laughs> so so when somebody if somebody doesn't like something in your book and they sue you them suing your entity and not your personal assets is really one of the big things. Now, you mentioned the copyright situation, if you unintentionally violate someone's copyright. And, you know, recently in the news, I don't know if you saw, but David Agus, um, who's a New York Times bestselling author, got caught with 95 incidents of plagiarism in his new book, which was, oh my the, gosh, which was then pulled from the shelves by his publisher, Simon and & Schuster. And and I'm I'm going to share the story because there is a clarification. You said the publisher goes to bat for you. Well, there's there's a little clause. Yeah, most of the time. Well, there's there's a standard clause in a in a traditional publishing contract that says that you, as the author, certify that everything you're submitting in that manuscript is your own intellectual property, or you have obtained adequate permissions to publish it. So he actually is on the hook for any financial implication, including the cost of pulling the book from the shelves, editing all the text so that the plagiarism is removed, and reprinting all the books that they lost. That is crazy. His responsibility. I haven't even heard about that. I'm gonna have to look that up. I'll yeah, have that to post about that on TikTok. Your newsletter, right? <laughs> yeah. I well, it's crazy because we, uh, as lay people, we look at these public figures as oh, they're doing things the right way. They must be like if they're doing it, it must be okay. They must be doing everything right. But it just goes to show, like, not always. And actually, this reminds me of Jay Shetty. Several years ago, he was repurposing, not repurposing, he was recreating content and sometimes straight up just stealing other people's content and posting it on his own page. And that's how he got so big on social media. And now he does quote them. Now he does at, like get the actual rights. But I see this happen with so many creators and so many authors, and it blows my mind that they get away with it or they don't 
have too many repercussions because they try to, I don't want to get too deep into this, but I, I just see a lot of public figures that try to build themselves up on, oh, we're this great brand. We do this great deed. And, and it's just like, no, actually you're just, you are literally stealing from other people. And what I think what trips me up the most is that once people make the recognition from the fact that intellectual property because a lot of people can't conceptualize the fact that intellectual property is owned by somebody. But I make the correlation that, hey, this is the same thing as if somebody were to take your bike off of your front lawn and go and sell it for a million dollars. That's literally the same thing as if they were to go and take your book and go sell it and make a million dollars. Literally the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Because I think because because it's conceptual, a lot of people don't realize that, no, somebody had to create it and it belongs to them. And so have you ever had to help a client defend a copyright? Like, like if somebody, tell us a story from that. that yeah, actually, well, this, uh, this happens a lot. We, so we have a lot of t-shirt designers. My first business, well, I had a clothing boutique and we manufacture. So I had a lot, I've had a lot of clients that have clothing boutiques, they're designers. And a lot of these designers, they put out new designs and immediately people are ripping them off. And we've had, uh, I mean, I've had clients be ripped off by Walmart, by, um, but it's a big designer. Walmart's a big enough name. We get the idea. (laughs) Walmart was like the biggest name, but there was a bigger like designer that ripped them off. And even now it's, it's crazy how people want to blatantly copy and get away with it. And I feel like it's my job, my duty to educate people. And so I, I love TikTok. I do. I put so much content out on TikTok because my, I feel like it's my duty, my purpose in the world to educate people to, to realize it's not okay when somebody steals your stuff. It's not okay when somebody steals your video and repurposes it or takes your video word for word and creates it themselves. Like that's actually not okay. Hi, Robin here. Have you been considering writing a thought leadership book that grows your business? How about writing a quality standout book that not only grows your business, but also grows your influence and reach? Everyone says writing a book can help your business, but few understand the mechanics of how a book actually makes your business grow. In case you're new to the author's corner, My name is Robin Colucci, and I've been helping world-class experts write world-changing books for over 20 years. Many of my clients have tripled their income within weeks of completing our proprietary book concept development process, and others have gone on to increase their business income 600x or more once their book was out. That's why I'm excited to announce that my team and I are hosting an exclusive two-day live workshop called the Book and Business Development Bootcamp. This is the first time I've hosted this bootcamp in person since COVID began back in 2020. And I'm looking forward to rolling up my sleeves and helping you get the same results that dozens of participants have seen over the past seven years that I've offered this. During our two days together, we will have two primary objectives. First, to help you find your clear saleable concept for your book. And second, to determine ways that you will be able to leverage your book to grow your brand and your business. This is not a phony Amazon bestseller program, nor is it one of those write a subpar book in a weekend courses. You get to work with me for two days 
side by side, no gimmicks, no BS. Together, we will map out a book concept and outline that will help you not only thrive in business, but create a bigger impact for your readers. If this sounds like it could be a good fit for you, then go to www.robincolucci.com forward slash bootcamp to apply for one of our exclusive spots. To give participants the most value, we've really limited the space. We only allow five people to register for the course at a time. So we only take the people who are ready to write their book and go to the next level. So once again, you can find that application when you go to the link www.robincolucci.com forward slash bootcamp. Now, let's get back to the show. So, so like if you, you say you've had clients that you've helped them to defend their copyright, like, cause I mean, I, if you see the plagiarism, that's one thing, but what do you do when somebody, when you know that somebody's blatantly stolen from you? Like, what do you, what's your, what do you do? Well, there's a couple of options and it depends on number one, if you have a registration or not. So in the United States, you have copyright protection the moment the work is created. You don't have to have a registration. However, if you have the registration within three months of publishing, or if you have the registration before somebody infringes, you're eligible for statutory damages. And to make a long story short, when you're eligible for statutory damages, that's what makes it worth it to really pursue someone and potentially sue someone for copyright infringement. But if it, let's say it's, you know, small creators, not anybody huge ripping you off. If it's small creators, small businesses that are ripping you off, the easiest and most cost-efficient way is to submit a copyright takedown, a DMCA takedown online, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Every online platform has this because if not, they can also be sued for copyright infringement. Oh, right, right, of course. So what is it? I've never heard of this. Yeah, so you can just Google, let's say it's on Facebook. You Google Facebook copyright takedown or DMCA takedown, and it'll be a form. You just literally put in your information, you link to your content, and then you link to the infringing content. And within a couple of days, by law, they have to remove it. Wow. Well, that's efficient. Yeah, <laughs> it's very efficient. I and was it, thinking to myself, like, if you want to defend a copyright, sure. But if it's going to cost you $10,000 in legal fees and going to court and all this stuff, like, who's going to do that? You know, if somebody steals a paragraph of your book that you've sold 100 copies of, you know? Right, right. And that's and that's why I feel like my job is to help small businesses protect themselves as much as possible online. And that's where the takedowns come into play. And copyrights, you don't have to have a registration to submit these. Trademarks, you do have to have a federal registration to submit them. So it does work for trademarks. You don't have to have your copyright filed with the with the copyright office to submit that form. You just have to be able to prove that you created it before that post occurred. Exactly. Yep. Hmm. So like I said, that's why it's really beneficial with you know, if some, you know, Susie Homemaker, if she stole your post or if she stole your TikTok video, you're not going to get anywhere by suing her or suing somebody that it doesn't look like they have anything. However, I think um, I just posted something about a creator that BarkBox, the subscription, oh, yeah. uh-huh. they had stolen her audio and used it. And I was I was like, absolutely, you should definitely sue them. And because the the thing is, 
with BarkBox, I think they initially reached out to her to, and this is where it can get really worth it to go pursue someone. I think they initially reached out to her for the rights and she said no. And then they still scraped the audio from her video and put it on their own video. And so by them initially asking and then just taking the audio, not even reposting the video, that shows willful infringement. So it's not just they infringed on my copyright, they willfully did it. Because a lot of times it's not worth it to sue for copyright infringement because people just don't know. They're not aware. And so, yes, it is copyright infringement. Yes, you can sue. However, if you hire an attorney to do that, it's going to cost you a lot of money and you're not going to get a lot of money in return. But when it's willful and it's a big company like BarkBox, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you ask for per permission... <laughs> You can't very well go back and say, I didn't know I needed permission. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> yep. I mean, well, okay. Unless you're a politician. <laughs> I was going to say unless you're a politician. But, but I don't want to go there. All right. So that's really helpful. That's so, I see, I learned that. I did not know that that was available. Yeah. And if you have a book, it's really easy. I know there's a ton of, um, a, a ton of systems, a lot of um, websites where you can enter your own content and find if anybody has copied it online. Very easy to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And actually now with the chat GBT, you can do it real quick. <laughs> I think uh, that's my understanding. I'm. It's still very foreign to me, though. Yeah. All right. So we talked about copyright and intellectual property. And we talked about liability. Now you're going to have to remind me, I think it was the middle one. The contracts. Contracts. Yes. yes. So the big thing with contracts, honestly, is don't be afraid to use them. So many, I hear every day from people like, oh, well, it's just a handshake deal. I don't want them to think I'm trying to pull one over on them. I'm like, no, you are a business owner. This is how business owners operate. They use written contracts. Actually, if someone doesn't want to give me a contract to sign, oh, that's a red I'm flag. afraid they're trying to pull something over. <laughs> yeah, that's what I tell people today. I'm like, if they don't, I tell them like from my own perspective, I'm like, if I were to be working with you and you didn't initially send me a contract, I would question your professionalism. Right, exactly, exactly. So let's talk about contracts when it comes to publishing. Have you, have you helped clients with a lot of publishing contracts or is that something sort of tangential? Because I know not every business owner has a book. Yeah, I, I actually haven't done any publishing contracts. I usually refer the entertainment work out. Um, now we have entertainment attorneys with Legalpreneur, but I personally have not done publishing deals or any type of like now podcasting deals are getting bigger. Just all kinds of entertainment deals are I love it because it's showing that it, the rise of the smaller creator, the smaller public, yes, the smaller absolutely. author. And yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. Just not my area of expertise. You know, that's such a good point, though, because there are so many more content creators now. And if you put something, post something on your Internet, on the Internet and you created it, it it's yours. <laughs> yeah, that, that really is a game changer, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I I mean, I love to see it. I'm just like, yes, go you. And I think it's only going to increase right now. I mean, we're publishing the or we're recording March 21st and Disney just announced today they're about to do some layoffs. Yesterday, Amazon announced they're doing, I think, 
10,000 more layoffs after their 20,000 layoffs in January. And I tell people all the time, when there's layoffs, that's more business owners. There's more creators. There's more people going out on their own because they're like, I'm done relying on someone else. I'm going to do it myself. And I tell people all the time, when you see layoffs, that's going to be more, not necessarily telling them as a from a place that there's more competition, but if you don't protect what you've created and you're not aware of how to actually protect yourself, you're going to get eaten alive. Oh, interesting. And and you say that because there's going to be a lot of new people who are trying to get in the mix and they might just be going the expedient way versus the ethical way? Not necessarily. So, I, well, the big thing that comes up a lot of times is trademarks because a lot of small business, I can't tell you how many people will initially come to me for a trademark. I'm like, ah, I think I'm going to wait. They don't feel the urgency. And then months later, they're like, I found somebody using my name. I need this done yesterday. And I'm like, well, <laughs> in my line of work, there are no emergencies. There's literally nothing I can do for you at this moment to make them stop. <laughs> but it's a matter of making sure you actually are putting those protections in place up front. That way, nobody comes after you. Because what happens with trademarks is small businesses, let's say they don't file the trademark. So a new player comes onto the marketplace and they think they're doing their due diligence. They go and look at the trademark website. They don't see a trademark for the name. And so they're like, oh, great, I can use this name. But even though that's not actually the case, because with trademarks, it's whoever was using it first has priority and it's not just the same exact name. It's anything similar enough. So with that established, the new player in the game, let's say they go and file the trademark and then the original business owner realizes like, Oh my gosh, somebody's using the name. They filed the trademark. Then they want to go after that person. And that's when it costs you 10, 20, a hundred times more than if you would have just put that protection in place up front. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Very true. I do want to say one thing about a publishing contract, because this is important. And there's obviously a lot to say about publishing contracts. You know, we actually have an episode on that too. The, the nine questions you should ask before you sign any deal with a publisher. <laughs> anyway, this is just great. I don't I don't usually get to point to uh, episode yeah. <laughs> to the content. So how relevant your topic is that we can, we've already got two episodes now that our listeners have to check out. But one of the things is, and I think this is a great distinction I'd love to have you speak to, because I think people get confused about the difference between the copyright and the rights to publish. And there's a big difference because in an ethical publishing deal, you never sign away your copyright. You sign the license to publish. So could you explain to our listeners who I mean, might be a little wet behind the ears on this, uh, what that difference is and why it matters? Yes. So ultimate, the ultimate rights when it comes to having creative rights is owning the copyright. This is the ultimate creative rights. And what can stem from that is the right to publish as a book, the right to produce a movie, the right to create a TV show, the right to do all kinds of things. And as the creator of that book, the actual copyright, you never want to blanket assign the right. So if you want to actually transfer rights, it's called an assignment. And you never want to do that 
unless the price is right. <laughs> all like there's a price, there's a price for everything. I don't so, know. I, <laughs> if anybody wants to pay that much for your copyright, keep it. <laughs> that's true. That's it's true. Little, they they obviously see how you're gonna make a lot of money with that. Right. And so whenever you're signing a publishing deal, a book publishing deal, you have to make sure that you are not actually assigning the full copyright rights. All you are doing is providing a license, which is just permission for the publisher to actually create and publish these books with your writing. Yeah, exactly. And it's 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 really truly important. Uh because if you sign away the copyright and 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 especially for our listeners who also own a business that is related to the book they're writing, which is very common, right? We don't, business owners don't normally write books about things that have nothing to do with their business. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of free time uh, or a second, oh, totally separate career. <laughs> but so what you can inadvertently do if you sign away the copyright is then you could literally be signing away your right to teach the content that's in the book in a course format or something, or even to your clients because you no longer own that that intellectual property. That yeah, could and fill your business. And you have to be careful of what's included in that license because they you may think they're getting the right to sell the books, but maybe they also put merchandise in there. What if they put but like they're going to sell mugs, they're going to sell bookmarks, they're going to sell these or other things rights or foreign rights. Yep. All of those things have a price on them or the, the right to do the audio book, the, the rights to the audio, all of those rights. Like if, if, if somebody has a literary agent representing them, every single one of those rights is a negotiation item that is that sh- it ought to be reflected in your payment from the publisher. Like the more they get, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, like like a menu. Right. If they're just getting the steak then they just pay for the steak. If they're getting all the side dishes and dessert, they should be paying more. Well, it's the same. It's the same. And you're right. Every single one of those rights are separate. And so you never want to just sign away the whole. And this is where I think it's really important to understand that, yes, a lawyer costs money or an agent costs money. However, unless you truly understand how to negotiate a publishing deal, you absolutely, like you will be signing away things that you don't need to unless you have an agent. I, and I, this is actually coming up a lot with podcasters. So we, we always sponsor podcast movement and we have a, we have a booth and we work with a lot of podcasters. And last year in Dallas at podcast movement, had an executive from Paramount come up to us. And he was like, I just want to say thank you so much because I can't tell you how many podcasters will not hire an attorney or an agent to negotiate on their behalf. And I'm like, yeah, I I get it. And it's so like, it's disheartening because there's, and at the same time, they're so excited because like, oh, somebody believes in me. They're going to blow us up and we're going to be making so much more money. And, but they're actually leaving still so much on the table. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Yeah. That really got, oh shoot. Cause that that triggered something. And then I now, Oh, come back, come back. (laughs) Yeah. So I was going to, Oh, I know what I was going to say. Literally $500. Get an attorney to read your publishing contract, a a literary 
attorney, an IP attorney to read your publishing contract, have a conversation with them beforehand about what your goals are with your book, what you must protect under what, what under no circumstances is available for sale uh, and let them read your contract and mark it up for you and negotiate on your behalf. I mean, a lot of times you don't even have to negotiate, you know, they just mark it up and then the publisher goes, oh, okay. Because, you know, I mean, why not throw it in and see if you could get it? Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, and I tell clients this all the time. I'm like, you have to look at it from their perspective. They're not necessarily trying to pull one over on you. They're trying to see what they can get away with and to see if you're sophisticated enough to say, actually, no, this like, no. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Let's talk about the net because a lot of publishing deals are about getting paid on the net. Tell us about that. How do we navigate the net? Navigating the net versus so when we're getting net, net paid on net proceeds, what's going on there? And what do we have so, to watch? Yeah. So of course, if hopefully you're aware of gross proceeds versus net proceeds. Gro gross proceeds are the book cost $20. So your proceeds are based off of whatever percentage of $20. But if it's net proceeds, then they're taking some off the top. Their cost, the cost to publish the cost to print the book, the cost for this, the co they're taking away all their costs before paying you. So if you, if your deal is based off of net proceeds, not unusual, right. right. And normally it's because the author doesn't know, or they don't think it's going to make a big difference, but it makes a huge difference because if it's based off of net, you're so gross, let's say it's based off $20. If they're taking away, you know, the cost of printing and the cost of this and that, like now you're looking at maybe $10 net of $10 instead of 20. So it's literally cut in half. So always make sure like what, like, what are you getting paid off of gross or net? Yeah. And make sure you understand, I think, what are they deducting to make it? Net? Are they, deducting, are they deducting the CEO's bonus? <laughs> yeah. And well, the other thing is if it says net and they don't specify what is net mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, it's just these certain costs. And like, no, that has to actually be in the contract. Otherwise they're going to pull something out of their ass once it comes around to showing you, Hey, this is what you're getting. Yeah. Yeah. And then you might be like, why did I only make 30 cents a book? Mm -hmm. Wow. This is so helpful. Yeah. <laughs> So great. Okay. This has been so amazing. And I can, I can see we're winding down our hour here. So I am going to pitch you my signature final question, which is always fun to hear the answer, whatever it's going to be. Andrea, what did I not ask you that you would love to answer? I love to answer the question. What is my purpose in life? Why do I do what I do? And Honestly, it is my kids. I, it's so funny because I, every time I talk about the book, my kids come up because I, when I, so I'm now divorced. And when I left my, when I left their dad, I wanted to be very intentional about being a better mom. Not that I was a bad mom. I wanted to be a better mom. And I wanted to be the mom that didn't just tell my kids they could do anything. I wanted to show them. And at the end of 2021, I realized that I wasn't showing them because I had this book on my heart and I wasn't doing anything about it. And I was actually on a solo, my very first solo vacation in Mexico. And I was like, oh crap, 
like I have to write the book. Like there's no question. Like I have, like, if I want to be that mom, like I have to write the book. And so I finally got, to, I literally got back to, back to the States and started working on it. And I did dedicate the book to them. And uh, I always like to read my dedication. It's to my children, Thomas and Allie. May you always live life according to your heart's deepest desire. Love yourself radically and fulfill your wildest dreams. Wow. That's so beautiful. And uh, I really want to thank you so much for being that mom. Because, because you were that mom, we got to have you here with us on The Author's Corner. So thank you for that, too. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.